is the most adorable thing. Just legs out. Like, I've seen it before. I will see it again. It's sploot. We call it full sploot. Full sploot. I don't get it. Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to I Don't Get It, a podcast about performances in Edmonton. I'm Fonda. And I'm Paul. And we are proud to be part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered powered by by ATB. Great. Uh, How's your week been, Fonda? It's been good. It's been kind of crazy busy. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Grey Cup has made downtown a mess all week. So, um, yeah. How about yours? Uh, Fine. Also also dealing with that in in different ways. But Mm. good. We actually got to see something together for the first time in a while. We did. It has been a while. And we're actually back in the ECF studio, which is like... you know, rarer and rarer. <laughs> we're doing it. We're, yeah. f- we're figuring it out. We saw uh, What a Young Wife Ought to Know uh, yeah. playing over at Theater Network um, and is a Hannah Moscovich script. Uh, yeah, this was the opening of the Theater Network season um, proper, I guess, because mm-hmm. they've had a couple of, uh, they've had, the performance series has been running a bit, but this is uh, their first, uh, Theater Network's first presentation of the season. Um, it's a, a three-hander. Mm-hmm. Um, most, of, most of the play is is the two two characters um and yeah well yeah. how about how about give us a little bit of a premise what is this sure. play about paul <laughs> it is 1920s canada over in ontario mm-hmm. um and we are looking at sort of um a love story of sorts, but more so a story of sort of the era and, and what it was like for, for women and the idea of contraception and uh, the consequences of how that was sort of treated uh, at the time. We have the, the sort of title character, Sophie, who, who falls in love with sort of a stable boy, uh, an older stable boy at the, uh, at the hotel that her uh, sister works at. And sort of uh, how those lives entangle and are affected, and as they entangle and as they become uh, husband and wife, uh, how that plays out and the consequences of um, the medical system, and uh, yeah, and particularly what options were available to women at the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the the couple fall in love and they get married and, and things like that, and there um, there's a lot of talk about um, the sort of like uber Catholic. Um, mm. the, the, the Catholic world that they're living in there. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, and they're, I think they're from Ireland. They're speaking mm-hmm. in Irish yeah, accents. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the um, the main roles, Johnny and um, Sophie are played by Marin Carwigan and Cole Humaney. Mm-hmm. Um, great performances. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Bobby Goddard plays Alma, Sophie's sister. And I think that um, one of the one of the hardest scenes, um, uh, like em- emotionally challenging scenes, was um, was very close to the beginning of the show when um, Alma. Uh, basically has a like tries to give herself an abortion because she has an unexpected pregnancy Mm -hmm. um and uh and and she and she passes away so then she speaks to her sister as a ghost through the rest of the the play Mm. you don't really hear what she's saying though Mm. which i kind of thought was Mm -hmm. cool and her sister uh her sister helped with said uh botched abortion yes Um, yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and then um and then uh, life continues sort of in, in the shadow of this. And as you say, the ghost is sort of present and around. Uh, but then uh, as as uh, Sophie's own health sort of comes into question and the number of children that she wants to have or finds it safe to have for herself um, and what they can afford to have mm-hmm. um, uh, is called into question. And uh, Johnny uh, is very much a like 
more children are good children. Like, yeah. This is a gift no matter what. Um, mm-hmm. This is always great. Um, but it's not. It's yeah. Not. And, and so, you know, she's, uh, I think in the, in the play she has four children. And after the fourth one, I think, or after the third one is when she really actually mm-hmm. wants to stop. Right. Um, and a couple pass away. Yeah. And, and there's she has more pregnancies than children, mm-hmm. of yes. course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I thought uh, the performances were were uh, they they had a real sense of like a real genuine sense of intimacy for for th- when things were good, mm-hmm. um, when they were falling in love. That felt very natural. And also the the playwriting device of uh, Sophie is also addresses us, the audience, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and sort of uh, often just posing a question. Yeah, to, uh, yeah and so often to the women in the the crowd specifically. Yeah, she, they, there's there's a, a number of times where she says, "Well, what ladies, what do you do? You know, how do, how do you?" deal with this in your marriage or in your relationship. Do you tell your husbands these things? Yeah, do you tell your husband that you've lost a baby or that Mm -hmm. you're going to abort one or, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's like, I mean, they're very... they're very bold questions, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that one of the nice things about the play and what I thought worked very well in terms of the female voice, the female characters, also female director in the mm-hmm. show, uh, Marianne Coppithorn, is that um, you really do get a sense of the of the sort of um, kind of very upfront way that women talk about um, stuff that happens with their bodies to each other, mm-hmm. um, and I think that that's that was that was actually one of my favorite things about the play was that it did have that authenticity of like close female friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, and we also see why they don't talk to men about this because when she does try and have this conversation with her husband Johnny, uh, he's just not really listening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or he can't get past his own sort of the things he's internalized about what life should be, what a family should be, what I'm allowed to do, or what I want to do. Um, uh, as far as child rearing and having more kids and, and things like that. Yeah, it's a very different reality for him and what he's g- kind of going through. And what I appreciated in a certain way was that um, this is one of Hannah Moscovich's plays where um, you don't... Uh, it, it was so strong in the female voice. And a lot of her other plays, especially uh, that I've seen recently, haven't really had that. They've mm. been... A, a lot of them are two-handers, and the male character is... Um, uh, the one that you hear the voice more dominantly, like we sure, saw that yeah. with Infinity for sure. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. and then uh, in Little One, Little mm-hmm. Ones, uh, Little One, yeah, yeah Little One is the, the voice ago. of the brother was uh, more dominant, even though Little One was about the sister character. Right, right, right. Um, and then there was uh, um, I'm thinking of East of Berlin too. Sure, East yeah. of Berlin, I feel like you hear the male voice more. Is our sort of narrator mm-hmm. character in that, and is definitely sort of the anchoring presence. But yeah, we that's that's not the case here, and. It shows someone really honestly trying to work through this thing that's happening to them um, and find ways to survive, like both emotionally and physically, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. sort of survive uh, all of the the hurdles based on what they're allowed to access. You know, there's some parts where she talks to doctors about what they do, and everyone's so quiet about Mm -hmm. the actual options. Yeah, about Um, like real contraception. Like there's like, there's the one funny part where there's some kind of like mud cake that's Mm -hmm. made or whatever. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, you know, like, cause there's a a lot of sort of like, er, I don't wanna say urban legend, that's not the right term. They're trying the the rumors they've heard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's sort of like folk remedies and things Mm -hmm. like that, that they're, you know, trying to use. um, And you know, in, in that way lent to the comedy in that one right. scene, of course. <laughs> and it also sort of weighs in, in this play on sort of just the social elements of that time and, 
because this is a poor family. It's not a well-off family. Mm -hmm. uh, and so even more so than just in the time, within that time, they have much less access to things they're allowed. And people take their problems less seriously mm -hmm. um, because they're poor. And that's sort of how they're, this is the hand you're dealt, have fun, um, and dealing with, with that. Yeah. Well, and so this was, um, we, you know, we were kind of chatting after we saw the show, and this was one of the ones that we thought, you know, in, in the season here, in the first half of the season that mm -hmm. we're in, um, this is one that really kind of stood out to me. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it just, I, I do think that this one should hopefully be recognized, particularly in, in, in the acting and directing categories when we get down to the Sterling season. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, just a season. very well-told uh, story that is a very strong and powerful story and even though it's set uh, almost 100 years ago still still has resonance today and sort of mm -hmm. when we look at the conversation around women's bodies and and legislation and things that are happening today it's it feels uh, pertinent to look at right this is how far we've come but here are things that are still prevalent mm -hmm. and issues yeah I think and, they did a really good job of um, the setting in the it in the 20s that feel like they the, that mm -hmm. was a great um, like this the set was interesting the costumes I think were really uh, um, you know they they did hark to that time but it it was interesting how current it felt mm -hmm. um, in in those ways too so in in any case I I would highly recommend trying to go see uh, what a young wife ought to know uh, before it's done yeah that's right cool and Fonda it sounds like now would be a good time for an ad. This episode of I Don't Get It is brought to you by The Otherwise Show. In the most recent episode, the hosts explore the significance of land acknowledgement, what it means to be a treaty person as a newcomer immigrant, and the relationship between newcomers and indigenous communities. To listen and for more info, visit otherwiseshow.com. Right. So, Fonda, we're meeting here um, mm. partly uh, today because uh, you were just doing a thing, uh, a thing called the Arts Datathon. Yeah, the Edmonton Community Foundation had a three-day session that w uh, had a bunch of data collectors and some artists, um, as well as our major funding agencies, um, looking at um, a bunch of arts data and seeing what came out. And I don't know, do you have you uh, do you know what a datathon is, Paul? Uh, it's where a bunch of people get together on computers. <laughs> Um, and try and collect data and analyze it? Is that is that a, a fair read? They gather as much as they can on whatever the topic is, and then we sort of, everyone sifts through it together and sort of like looks for trends and patterns and things that stand out. And Yeah, yeah. And what was kind of interesting is that like it's, it's definitely not the type of thing that art artists are used to doing I okay. think so it was kind of um you know interesting to see a bunch of like very computer technical savvy people at like data miners um mm -hmm. working on these uh subjects that <laughs> that are you know we have all this information on like say grant recipients and and things like that but we don't have a lot of information on um you know people practicing art in their homes or like uh, all that other kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So so the information that they have available to mine this data from is from, essentially it was from the funders this time. So sure. it was from the Edmonton Arts Council, the AFA. Um, I know the Edmonton Community Foundation had some information on their grants and, and things like that. There wasn't really actually a lot of um, Canada Council information okay. or anything like that. Um, but what I found most interesting, I think, as someone who works in an arts organization is is that I kind of I came away with a lot more questions than answers, of course, and I think that that's sort of the nature of this kind of exercise. Mm -hmm. um, but I, it was more like, how do we in the arts make better data? Sure. Um, a lot of the presentations that I saw today were um, 
they would have to, they were talking about, um, you know, everything had the premise where they had to clean the data first. Mm. Um, so they say, well, we, you know, we tried to figure out what neighborhoods artists are living in most. Sure. Um, and, you know, it all kind of skewed, though, in a certain way because of like the way that they defined the neighborhood, you know, like the downtown core in Strathcona was almost like, like stood out so much in almost every study. And a lot of it actually did have um, to do with mapping, like Mm. mapping of the city. Right. Um, And there's certain inaccuracies too about um, like census information and stuff like that. Because if you work in the arts and you um, say that, you know, you respond to that on the census, you could also be responding in the same category as someone who say work in sport or recreation. So it there's, you know, there's right. there were a lot of certain types of things that I think uh, maybe the, that we learned how to, um, like, the questions that need to be asked. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, the, there were some certain things. The the most interesting stuff, I think, was things that came became really animated and visual in terms of, like, the, say, changing grant amounts over time. Sure. Uh, in certain types of organizations. Um, music was – music and visual art were, like, sort of, like, very different than other performing art sort of stats. Interesting. Um, so – and one thing that, I mean – as someone who works in an arts organization that is a literary, like it's a literary organization, mm-hmm. but it's also a festival. Right. Information on festivals was like taken differently than all sorts of other things, too. So, yeah, I'm questioning, of course, you know, like the accuracy of any of it. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's just a kind of a really useful exercise to see like where the holes in information are mm-hmm. um, or where, you know, like they, they were using information from Calgary as well in some of it. Gotcha. Um, so, you know, you, where you'd see like a very, very strange outlier, say in fundraising, in theater fundraising. There was one really interesting graph where they showed um, – the differences between fundraising revenue and expenses. Mm. And there was one theater company that just had like huge fundraising expenses and huge fundraising revenue, but the expenses were way higher. Um, And so, you know, and thinking about what I know about the arts in Alberta and who that probably was, Mm. um, I think that that was like knowledge that, say, from the arts community that wasn't really present within the people who were mining the data. Sure. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So an interesting tidbit that came out because of the sort of who was mining that data um, mm-hmm. and, and looking for, for what. Yeah, like they, they would find things that I would say, you know, someone who works in the arts may be able to very easily explain. Oh, I see. Um, sure. And then, but for the data miners, they were just like, look at this, it's this crazy example. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, like it was funny because literary arts showed up as having way higher costs in administration huh. um, than anything else. And I was just kind of like, well... When you think about what sort of literary arts organizations are represented that aren't festivals, because those are separate, right? Um, you know, there's their member service things, right? Like right, the Writers Guild right, and the Book right, Publishers right. Association. So, you know, of course the administration costs are high because that's all they do. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not. That is they're not the writers producing writing, right? right? Like the literary arts organization essentially just represents writers. Right. There's support for 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 that particular art. Yeah. So so it was kind of interesting, and I I can explain that though. Like mm-hmm. I know what that is, but sure. to them they're just kind of like, wow, why are literary arts spending so much money on administration? Sure. When it's just like, well, they're they're not though because mm-hmm. they're actually like administrative organizations. Right. Because writers largely are independent. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think it's. I think it's interesting. I think that's. Uh, uh, um, I think there's something really interesting about that, though. Just like even even if 
it's something you can easily explain being like, hmm, yeah, based on the ways we gather data, uh, these things show up as aberrations um, or, or very skewed moments, but they, within the context, they make more sense or can be, can mm-hmm. be explained often. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and just actually the, the act of giving that context mm-hmm. and then being able to explain it, it, it did, you know, you would, you would be educating people more yeah, about like how certain types of organizations work or, yeah. Yeah, or where... Um, say, charitable money is going um, right. when you're donating to something like, say, like, you know, like a theater company versus like sure. a writer's guild. So so what do you what do you hope is one of the things that sort of comes from this datathon, Fonda? If we if we look at sort of what you did get to talk about and what you did get to look at um, and some of those questions that you're like, ah, now now this is a good question that we need to look at. Like, what do you think uh, the use of, of something like this is for going forward in the arts? Yeah, I think that one uh, there were a couple of representatives from the Arts Council there. And of course, they were. Um, um, they're looking at this information with um, kind of a weight on how to get this data usage um, into their uh, tenure plan, this right, connections right. and exchanges plan. Um, because if you read the plan, a lot of the outcomes and measurables are based on data. Mm-hmm. So they kind of have to figure out how they're really going to measure stuff and how to start collecting that information now right? Um, so that we can see the change over these 10 years right. and if it's working and if it's useful. Right. And what what is good data to collect and what is data that uh, is easy to understand or explain mm-hmm. um, that we can get or yeah. how we're measuring things and whether that's at the most accurate way. Yeah, and I think one of the most useful things, because it was so um, sort of like geographically map-based, mm-hmm. um, they got, the, there's a lot of more information I think that um, needs to be worked on when it comes to engaging neighborhoods um, and like really seeing how different parts of the city, you know, where people are living, not sure. only where people are living but where are they practicing where is audience coming from um you know like that those sorts of things i think um as they do this sort of event more i think they're probably going to try and do it every year mm-hmm. um the the information will be, become more and more refined i think sure mm-hmm. yeah great so cool that was that that, Thanks, was, that was the arts datathon <laughs> yeah and how about now another ad There's another podcast on APN that covers theater, musical theater, that is. Putting it together takes an in-depth look at Stephen Sondheim's body of work, show by show and song by song. Each episode, Kyle Marshall invites an expert to discuss a Sondheim song in depth. They read the lyrics and offer insight on the word choice, melody, and how the song how the song informs character and anything else that might come up. This show is for any Broadway lover in general and in, and Stephen Sondheim fans in particular. To learn more about putting it together and all of APN's podcasts, visit albertapodcastnetwork.com. Um, all right, Paul. Uh, I guess it, now it's time for listing. Let's do it. Uh, so first up, we have uh, a Mile Zero Dance Salon. Uh, Dust is being presented on November 30th at Spezio Performativo. Uh, what a Young Wife Ought to Know, as discussed, runs mm-hmm. at the Roxy on Gateway until December 2nd. Fallen Angels, the Noel Coward play, is being presented at the Varscona Theater until December 1st. The Unsinkables is happening at the Sewing Machine Factory from December 6th to 9th. Miss Bennett, Christmas at Pemberley Hall runs until December 9th at the Citadel. And the uh, big old Citadel last year of the Christmas Carol is happening um, uh, November 30th to December 23rd. Just a ton of stuff to see and do in the next three or four weeks. Yeah. So, um, well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening, everyone. Go see some of that stuff. Bye. Bye. 
I Don't Get It is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or check us out on albertapodcastnetwork.com or the CKUA radio app. I Don't Get It is recorded on Treaty 6 territory in Edmonton, Alberta in the Edmonton Community Foundation's podcast studio. Our theme music is Mountain Time by Ghibli, and you can find more of Ghibli's music by going to ghibli.bandcamp.com. I Don't Get It is produced by Andrew Paul, Fonda Mithrush, and Paul Blinov. Sit here thinking about love.